We're so glad to see you. We're so glad to celebrate the risen Lord. He is, Christ is risen. He's risen. Thank you. Let's try that one more time. Christ has risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Thank you, everyone. We're just so thankful that you're here today. We love celebrating the resurrected King. We're so thankful for the sun shining after a very long winter. And so we're just so thankful to have you all here with us. I'm gonna open with some prayer and then we're gonna um, have a reading. I'm gonna have Jeremiah's gonna open with reading for us from the gospel of Mark. And then we'll talk about death and life and go from there. So let me start with a prayer. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would be with each person here, that you would um, awaken our hearts to who you are and what you've done, expand our thinking, and even transform what we do and who we are going into tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. I pray that you'd be with us during this time, that truth would come into the very um, center of our spirit and change who we are on the inside. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start with um, Jeremiah reading from Mark 15. All right. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he went out from the centurion, and granted, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Mark, uh... 37 through 47. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremiah. <laughs> We're so thankful to have our youth with us, reading with us and being willing to be courageous and to read and share with us. So thank you, Jeremiah. We're going to continue with Mark 16. When Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. 
and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, where you will see him. Matthew 28, 6 says it this way, just the end. It says, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. I want to make six quick points and highlights about what we just read, and then I'm going to talk about death and life. So the first point, when Jesus cried out and breathed his last breath, the veil in the temple, a curtain taller than this ceiling and four inches thick was torn from top to bottom. It was a visual of everything that separated us from the presence of God but it was torn, it was completely open. And this is what we sing today. This is why we celebrate today. Because like it says in Romans 8, 29, 39, excuse me, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Thank you, Jesus, right? Nothing. And we have that picture for us of that veil being torn. Secondly, for those who could see, for those who wanted to see, for those who were watching, like the Roman centurion, they could see the Son of God. They recognized the Son of God, the very image of God. Number three, while most of Jesus' disciples would scatter, which might have been what I would have done, we would have run from the scene. Others, like Joseph of Arimathea, who is a religious, a Sanhedrin leader, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was waiting. When is this kingdom of God going to be here? Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus's female disciples who had followed him all the way from Galilee, they attended to Jesus's body, his very body, wrapping him in linen, being with him. There was something important about his body, about what was happening. They didn't leave Jesus. Number four, some people were in denial. Pilate himself, who'd ordered this crucifixion, Pilate himself was in denial. Is he really dead? Is he actually dead already? Number five, three days later, five women went to the tomb. What was their concern? We can't roll away this stone. This stone is too heavy for us to roll away. What are we going to do? How are we going to get to Jesus? They went into the tomb. And Jesus's body was gone. It was gone. And then they see an angel who says, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. We can trust Jesus. We can trust what Jesus says. He's done it before. He does it again. We can believe in what he says. So I found this image and, and some media we have of a tomb. Do, can we put that tomb up? Thank you. I've just been thinking about being in tombs, being dead, being in the cold, being in the dark, being in places where there's a stone so heavy, we don't feel like we can move it. I can't move it. I can't do this. And I want to speak today about coming out of tombs and into a living hope coming out of the tomb and into the light, into living hope. I recently heard an interview um, with a woman named Kate Bowles. 
Fuller and a professor and preacher named Thomas G. Long. And they were talking about being with people in grief and in death and when they're dying. And Tom Long said this. He said, there are two preachers at every funeral. Capital D, death, comes to every funeral and loves to preach. And death's sermon is always the same. You are damned. You are dead. Every one of you, I will win every time. You want evidence? Look in the grave. It's right here. I break all loving relationships. I destroy all community. You belong to me. But we have the duty and delight as proclaimers of the good news, good news to stand there before death and say, wait, wait. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That's what we say in the face of it. And he's quoting from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. And he says, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Victory over sin and death. There's death that comes to us because of sin, all the wrong we do and all the wrong done to us. But there's also death. It's just a natural part of life. It's just because we're human. Our days are numbered. But Jesus gives us a hope and a victory over both. There's a story in the Bible about a man who encountered Jesus. It says he had an unclean spirit or impure spirits. He was demon-possessed by a legion. That means a lot of demons. This man was tormented. We don't know how he got into this condition, but we know he was tormented by capital D, death, that death was preaching at him day in and day out. It says in Mark 5, Jesus was going to go to where this man was. This man lived in a place called the Decapolis. He was across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus and his disciples go by boat to this other land, this land beyond the Jewish land. And it says in Mark 5, 2 through 5, that when Jesus climbed out of the boat, when he got to the shore and climbed out of the boat, this man, possessed by an evil spirit, came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was ever strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and then in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stone, stones. We call Satan the accuser because Revelation 12.10 refers to Satan as the one who accuses believers before God day and night. Oh, this death, this preacher is relentless. Death never stops. The accuser tells us we're worthless, we can't do it, we're unworthy, 
We're unable to relate. This preacher wants to put us in tombs, in chains and shackles, make us unapproachable and even violent. Wandering among tombs and in the hills, isolated from community. The gospel writer Luke says he was naked. He never wore clothes. He was vulnerable. He was exposed. But Jesus, right? But Jesus comes and says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have life for you. Jesus arrives on the shores of our lives and says, I'm here to meet with you. He steps out of a boat and invites us today to come out of burial caves, out of wandering in the hills, to have an encounter with him. This man, I'm not going to read the whole account. You can read it in Mark 5 or Luke 8. This man would have a radical encounter with Jesus. And Jesus would set him free of his demons. When people came out from the town to see what had happened to him, what did they see? It says they came to see Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had that legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. There are two preachers in every tomb. One is death and one is life. So what does life say? What does Jesus say? John 10, 10, Jesus warns us about death. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, steal. I can never say these words in a row. It's a tongue twister. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Then in John 17, 3, Jesus says this when he's talking to the Father. They're having a prayer time right before he goes to the cross. Jesus says, this is eternal life that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing Jesus. That's eternal life. Are you looking for the kingdom of God? Are you looking for eternal life? Are you looking for the son of God? Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages, ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. He has grace and kindness towards us. Grace and kindness as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by grace when you believed. So we have these life promises and yet we face death, don't we? Every one of us, we face death. I'm gonna tell you a little a, a story about my bro brother-in-law's death, Jay. Uh, 12 years ago, 
my brother-in-law, Jay, was 37 years old, and he was born with Down syndrome. Everyone loved Jay. Most everyone loved Jay. <laughs> he was hilarious and delightful, but at the same time, he had some idiosyncrasies and some stubbornness upon occasion that could drive you crazy. Some of the people in this room knew him. So he lived large and was very beloved by this community. D <laughs> Jay always wanted to be famous. I got to say a little bit about Jay because it's just fun. Jay always wanted to be famous. So he wanted to be a president or a lawyer or someone of great influence because he just wanted to be famous. He loved to pretend like he was David Hasselhoff, you know, Michael Knight, Knight Rider. So my kids bought me this smartwatch. And every time I answer the phone, I'm just like, Jay, we're with me. Come on, Kit, give me more. Give me all you got, Kit. I just want to talk into my watch like Knight Rider. But Jay's real heart was to be a college-level women's basketball coach. Now, now, Jay was four feet, 11 inches, and very robust. Second best to being a women's college basketball coach, he got to work with Kyle Whittingham as an assistant coach for the youths. And you can find him on the news, in media, if you're interested to learn more about that story. So much fun Jay was. He was legendary. But 12 years ago, he was at the end of an extended ICU stay due to respiratory illness. We're talking 40 days in ICU. That's a long time to be in a hospital with the smell of hospital soap, the whirring and whooshing of ventilator machines, constant beeping of monitors. It was long for him. It was long for our family. It was long for our friends in this community. You all are just were so kind to us. And when it was time to say goodbye to him, we didn't want to let him go. We had seen him resurrected. This was his third extended stay in ICU over his lifetime. We had seen so many miracles in his life, so many resurrections. Why not this time? But it wasn't to be, so we gathered around his bed to say goodbye. I had never sat with someone who had died before. I, I just have never done this before. And I did not want to be there. I didn't want to. I'm not afraid of dying, I don't think. I have a longing to see Jesus face to face and a joy at the idea of being in eternity that I don't know how to describe it except that it's so. But I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. I feel squeamish about broken bodies and worn out and old bodies and bodies that aren't working. It's just true. It's just honest. But I think most of all, I don't like saying goodbye. I don't want to say goodbye. I wasn't good at grieving. I just want to move on to the next thing. But I understand now how important it is that it's, we don't want to get stuck in grief, but we need to go through it. We need to walk through it. We need to be honest about it. We need to feel it. Maybe I was afraid that the preacher death would get the last word. Maybe that is really what I was afraid of. But I chose to stay in that room, 
even while death tried to raise its voice. I stayed there to hold Aaron's hand, to be with Jack and Kay, and because I thought Jay would really like all the fuss and attention <laughs> to the very end. <laughs> That's how he was. That's how he would have liked it. When Jay breathed his last, we cried. Kay reminded me of the women going to the tomb, staying with Jesus, taking him off the cross. She kept holding and touching his hands, adjusting the sheets, making sure he was comfortable. I exhaled. I was relieved. I was relieved for him. I was relieved for us. It feels unbearable to watch someone suffer like that. I got up and went out to the waiting room and held my children so much tighter. But in the days and months to follow, something happened in me that I never would have expected. Heaven became much, much more real. The idea that I am just a body and this is just a season. I don't know, I was filled with hope. I was filled with anticipation. I was, I could imagine even though we cried, even though we missed him, even though we were sad, I was like, oh. there was just this living hope inside of me that grew and grew. And Jesus preached life to me, a life greater than death. Oddly, I felt more alive than ever before. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. It's a city in Greece. And he said this, he said, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. This line, you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That's what this day is about. This is what we preach. We don't have to grieve like people with no hope. We have hope. There is hope in Jesus. There is hope for life right now, and there is hope for the future. You don't have to grieve without hope. We get to be with Jay once again. We get to be with others once again. We don't always get to go. I was reluctant to share that story because I might, I might tear up again. We don't always get to go into the tomb with the people who are leaving us, right? And that's really, really hard. But Jesus goes into the tomb with them. Jesus went with them. Jesus goes into the tomb for them. Jesus goes into the tomb with us. These two preachers, death and life, they're not just at every funeral, but they're also in every dark night, every struggle that we face. Whenever we're going through a difficult time where we just can't bear it, there's death and there's life speaking to us at the edge of the tomb. But I stand here today to preach life, to preach hope. I want to yell. <laughs> Life, life, life.
is a voice greater than death. My prayer all week long is that we would know love. Like Stanley said earlier, that we would know love, that when we come together, we would experience love, transforming, life-changing love when we're together. That's what I want us to experience is love. And I want us to experience life and living hope. Matthew describes another thing that happened when Jesus gave up his spirit and breathed his last. Each, each gospel writer describes this death and resurrection in different ways, right? Each one of them describes it a little differently. Matthew 27, 50 through 53. Could we put that up? Thank you, Caleb. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I don't know, is this where they get idea for zombies? I don't know. This is a whole nother thing. Way better. <laughs> These are living people, not walking dead. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. There were witnesses. So in summary, because of Jesus, the veil between God's presence and ours is torn once and for all for eternity. Because of Jesus, death the way we fear it, death the way we know it, death the way we experience it is conquered. It is. Because of Jesus, the things that want to keep you wandering in the tombs, tormented and chained up by all the things done to you and all the wrong things you've done, they are defeated. They're defeated. Jesus went into a tomb for you, and he's not there anymore. Jesus rolled away a stone for you, so you don't have to roll it away. Jesus got up and walked out into the garden just as he said he would. Trust him today. Trust in Jesus. Put your belief in him. Get up, come out of the grave, and come into a garden of eternal life. First Peter 1, 3 through 4. I want to sing it. We're going to sing it. In a different words, same idea. Does anybody want to read with me? Read out loud with me. Yeah. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's stand and sing.